Gil Troy, thanks for joining us on the line. You know, Israel is now 75 years old, and we're still here, and we're thriving. Are you surprised? I call us the Phoenix Nation. Uh, we are the oft-written-off people. People keep on lamenting our demise. Uh, it happened in 48. It happened in 67. It happened in 73. There was that old joke of the last person in uh, the airport, please turn off the lights. And we're still here. Not only are we still here, but we're better than ever. I keep on saying to people who are dooming and glooming, I'm giving you a time machine. You go back at any moment in Israeli history. Would you rather be living in 2023, than 1983, 1963, 1948? We're really lucky. We have our challenges, but we're really, really lucky. We are living a dream, living a miracle, making it better and better every day. You know, you know the 75th anniversary is taking place in, in the shadow or the light of this schism of the judicial reform, legislative reforms, whatever you call it. And, and to me, I see that as almost a, a unity in action because it shows how much Israelis care about the mission here. What do you think? I, I couldn't agree with you more. Look, in many ways, we might end up uh, with a much stronger society as a result. We might end up with really, truly a win-win where we see... How, uh, first of all, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. We've seen what we call in Hebrew, caring. People care passionately about this place. And as a result, they protest. But notice who these protesters are, these big left-wing secular protesters. 85% of Israelis uh, celebrated um, Passover Seder. Uh, 95% of, Israeli, of Israelis stop and, uh, and, 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 and mourn uh, both Holocaust survivors, you know, the Holocaust victims, and uh, all the victims of terror. We are a far more united society, and the fact that those protesters are waving blue and white flags shows how deeply patriotic they are. And in a world where we're seeing many left-wingers who all too often are not patriotic, are not serving in the army, are not believing in God, are not believing in tradition, these Israeli leftists, quote-unquote, are really quite centrist. And when we also see the numbers, that over 70% of Israelis want a compromise, want some middle path. I actually think that two, three, four months from now, we're not predicting, but there's a path where we might say, you know what? We came to the edge once again, but like one of those ever-battling married couples that never leave, we stay together and we emerge stronger than ever. You know, looking back, uh, let's say 50 years ago, the 25th anniversary of Israel, there was a big military parade. And, and now, 50 years later, I don't see us any, anything major. Everybody's going to be out there at the barbecues and celebrating. We'll have the flyby by the Air Force like they always do, and maybe a flotilla. But uh, we don't have military parades anymore. What does that mean about Israel? You know, the great thing about being a historian uh, is that you can take a step back and see the changes. And you can see the changes for the good and changes for the bad. Uh, we were a much more militarized society back then. We were a much more nervous society back then. Mm -hmm. We were a much more vulnerable society back then. Think about it. You know, in 1973, uh, Moshe Dayan himself, though we were about to experience the fall of the Third Temple, Korban by Shlishi, the, the, the destruction of Israel. Right. And not only did we end war, I know we often think of it as a loss because we were caught with our pants down, but, and we lost 2,700 beautiful souls, but we merged stronger and since then, there hasn't been one major Arab army that's dared to attack us. And the war changed from a war of armies to a war of terrorists. Now, obviously, that comes with its own cost, but it's not the same existential threat. So, yes, I don't want military parades because I think we're a much, more, much less military society. We're a much more individual society. Mm -hmm. But the fact that so many of us, despite our differences, will be having that barbecue, will be waving those flags. I mean, I'm seeing it already with... Uh, you know, in Yom Zikron, you see how, how the country stops, and, and you see how many people have their flags on their cars, and the flags is very interesting. That is a very interesting phenomenon. Tell us about the flags. 
flags are going instantly from being a symbol of protest to a symbol of unity, hmm. right? And tomorrow or the next day, they might go back to being a symbol of protest, but we're able to kind of put uh, that, the protest on hold, most of us. And, and you know, look, look we, and we've seen this every single year. Uh, very often in your newspaper, you get a flag and you end up hanging it on your, um, hanging it outside your window or, or on your house or in your apartment. Uh, we get flags that go on cars. We get, we now have, uh, this year we have flags on our side mirrors. And the power of the blue and white says, yes, of course we have left and right. Yes, we have religious and secular. Yes, we have Dathim, uh, religious and, 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 and Haridim, uh, ultra-Orthodox, and we have Arabs, and, and we have this mix, but we also have a sense of unity. And by the way, our enemies help us. Our enemies give us a clarity in a sick way. Well, don't uh, they say that Israel's best position was, is with the back against the wall? Yeah, and you know, one of the old jokes about Israel was also that uh, you know, our big problem will be if we ever make peace with the Arabs, <laughs> then we'll start killing one another. And we may be, <laughs> many people think we're living that, that, that fantasy flesh uh, nightmare out right now. Uh-huh. But I actually think so, it's something else. We understand having enemies gives a certain clarity of who we are, where we've come from, and where we're going. And again, look at the trajectory. Look at almost any indicator. Uh, look at our Israeli Arab brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And by the recognition, which occurred during COVID for many people, for many of us who was there long before, but during COVID, people saw, oh my goodness, 23% of Israeli doctors, 25% of Israeli nurses, 43% of Israeli pharmacists are Arabs. What does that show? First of all, that there's a growing Israeli Arab middle class. Second of all, they're serving all of us, and we're all working together. That doesn't make headlines. But there are all kinds of shifts that occurred in society over the last 20, 30, 40 years that have made us more functional, more united, and more together. And those are the things we need to emphasize, even as we battle it out, even as we see our challenges. What do you think Theodore Herzl would think of the state today if he came back? People like to ask me that because I just came out with this book about <laughs> Theodore Herzl's writings. And they usually say it as, ah, what would Herzl say? And I say he'd say two things. First of all, he'd go, yes, we pulled it off. It was the greatest con in the world. Right, 125 years ago, he calls together the Zionist Congress. He calls it a Zionist Congress. He makes sure everybody comes in jackets and ties and formal wear and makes sure the women, and there were women at the Congress, uh, mm-hmm. come formally dressed. And he leverages that into meeting with czars and sultans and presidents and prime ministers saying, I'm the king of the Jews, I'm the president of the Jewish people. And he writes in his diary, in 1897, 50 years from now, we're going to have a Jewish state. He said, I can't say this in public because people will laugh at me. And I love the fact that he was off by one year. Huh. And in 1948, when everybody said to David Ben-Gurion, don't do it. We have no weapons. We have no oil. We have no guns. We have no money. He said, yes, but we have one thing, hope, Hatikva. And that's what Theodor Herzl gave us. Theodor Herzl gave us what I call the great leap of hope. After centuries of the leap of faith, and of course we still need faith, the leap of hope is the Zionist leap of hope, the liberal democratic leap of hope, that tomorrow will be better than today. But we don't wait for it to happen. We roll up our sleeves and make it happen. And that's a double thing, having optimism, but also having a sense of responsibility that it's on us to fix our problems, not simply going to the czar, not simply going to mommy and daddy in America, not simply going to somebody else to fix our problems. We take care of our own problems. That's the Zionist empowerment move Mm. that has been keeping us going. And yes, sometimes keeping us battling for 75 years. You know, a couple of years ago, Israel sent a satellite to try to land on the moon. It didn't succeed. But, you know, something to be proud of. What else do you think Israel has done in the past 75 years that we, we can be very proud of? First of all, let's be honest, surviving. <laughs> it's been, you know, it's been an act of, uh, an act, a miraculous act where we began to defeat the odds, and that's why I call it the Phoenix Nation. Second of all, let's talk about the quality of life. Mm. Let's talk about 3 million 
Jews from all over the world, hated, belched out of their societies, be it the Arab and Muslim countries, 850,000 Jews coming from there, be it the Holocaust survivors who weren't often accepted back home um, in Poland, Ukraine, elsewhere, be it later waves of Russian Jews and Ethiopian Jews, and each wave of immigration had its problems, but we've absorbed them and we've given them quality of life, and we now are forced in the world in a happiness index. And people say, how could that be when you're yelling and screaming at each other and we're surrounded by enemies? It's because we have tradition, mm-hmm. we have community, we have unity, we have a sense of purpose. And then, of course, you could start listing all the inventions from one of my personal favorites, the cherry tomato, very small, but actually a nice little jump in quality of life, to um, all, all the chips and, and all the pharma products and all the things that make Startup Nation, Startup Nation. But even more important than Startup Nation, I think, is Values Nation, that we are showing how to be modern, capitalist, individualistic, but also still have a sense of tradition, still have a sense of community, still have a sense of us, not just I. We don't just count in decades like I do as an American historian. Mm -hmm. We don't just count in centuries as my British and European friends do. We count in millennia, but we also count in eternity. And that ability to always be time traveling back and forth. We count in our 75 years. We're living in 2023. We're living in 1948. We're living 3,000 years ago. And we're also living in the future. I think gives people a sense of rootedness, a sense of anchor in what Theodore Herzl called Altenoyland, Old New Land. Right. But it also gives us a sense of hope and of purpose and of mission. This is a very mission-driven country. These are very mission-driven people. And that's also part of the reason why we sometimes yell and scream and clash a lot. But wow, look what we've created a democracy in the rocky soil of the Middle East, a democracy with three million people plus who didn't grow up in democratic regimes, not in, uh, not in Russia and not in uh, Syria and not in Morocco and not in Ukraine. It wasn't democratic. And nevertheless, we've created a democracy. And most important, we've created a country which not only increasingly has uh, a, a plus when we talk about exports, but has, is, is a plus in terms of exporting thought, ideas, mm. innovation, and all these little toys and all these little innovations that make life better. And so I think on the whole, uh, while we've had our challenges, we have really, we can be really very proud. And I think it's very important as we go from you know, as we go on Memorial Day into Independence Day, fire up, fire up that barbecue, <laughs> make sure to wave that flag, but also take a step back and think big and small. Think of where the Jewish people were 50 years ago, 75 years ago, 125 years ago, 2,000 years ago. And think of our own stories, where your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents were, or my parents and great-grandparents and great-grandparents were, and see how much stronger, prouder, freer, calmer we are today because of this gift of Zionism, this gift of Israel. I really feel like we're among the luckiest people on the face of this earth. We're the luckiest Jews in history. We're born into freedom, we're born into prosperity, and we're born into hope. Let's mm-hmm. appreciate that. We won the historical jackpot. So, Gil, I'd like to invite you for another Independence Day talk for Israel's 100th anniversary. Do you think we'll still be here? you think Israel will still exist for its 100th anniversary? So, you know, I say I'm a historian, and it's hard enough for me to predict the past. I can't begin to predict the present or the future. Right. But let me say one thing. Um, I've been very lucky recently to partner with uh, the former Israeli ambassador to the United States, Michael Oren, who actually wrote a book about this, Israel 2048, 2048. Right. And he's challenging us to think a little bit about what Israel will look like then. And uh, if I nevertheless had to overcome my historical instincts and bet, I'd certainly not only bet on us being here, but being stronger, prouder, better than ever. Uh, but I think 
the initiative that uh, Ambassador Oren and others are taking, which is to say, okay, let's think of what are the challenges we have to overcome from integrating our ultra-Orthodox and our Israeli-Arab brothers and sisters better to finding more of a balance, maybe can, you know, work and, 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 and fun in life to um, dealing with the challenges to, to women and the challenges uh, in the army and, and the challenges here and the challenges there only by thinking ahead. And that's always the Zionist move. Jews are often caught thinking in the past. Historians are afraid, as I said, to predict the future. Right. Uh, but Zionists, Zionists understand you have to think ahead. David Ben-Gurion didn't want a constitution partially because he said, A, we'll spend so much time arguing about it, we won't be able to defend the country in 1948, 49, and, and, and absorb the immigrants and build our economy, et cetera, et cetera. But he also said a wonderful thing. In 1949, when Israel is so small and Israel is so embattled and Israel looks so pathetic and Israel looks so weak, he says, do you think that we should make a decision today in 1949 that will handcuff our successors 300 years from now? Hmm. Can you imagine that? He's thinking not just 100 years ahead, but 300 years ahead. And so we as Zionists have to be forward thinkers while looking back, thinking about acknowledging that we still have a long way to go. And Zionism always was the movement first to establish a Jewish state, and that's to perfect a Jewish state. And I like to call this identity Zionism, to then do the jujitsu, not only asking what can we do for the country, but ask really what can having this country do for us? What does it mean for us, whether we live in the United States of America or Canada or France or England or Australia, or we live in Israel? What does it mean to have this thriving democratic Jewish state? How does it bring us more meaning? How does it bring us more of a sense of purpose? How does it bring us a sense of having this great project? And think about what a miracle. This is the greatest adventure in Jewish history. How Jews coming from all over the world, broken, beaten, an embattled people, a wandering people, came home and made this house of theirs so extraordinary into this amazing mansion, a mansion of values, a mansion of comfort, a mansion of inspiration. Gil Troy, what can I say but Yom HaTzmut Sameach, happy Independence Day. Thank you so much. Chag Sameach, and I look forward to that day 100 years from now. Okay. 25 years from now. Thank you.